Hi everyone, I'm Aline Laurent Maillard, and I'm the host of a new podcast from Paradiso Media called Free From Desire, Asexual in the City of Love. If you liked Seventeen, we think you might like Free From Desire too. So we wanted to give you the opportunity to listen to the first episode right here. For more episodes, just look for Free From Desire on your favorite podcast app. For the longest time, I've imagined that I'd bump into a man on the street or that I'd meet someone on a plane and we'd live a great love story. As you might have guessed from my accent, I'm French. I was born and raised in Paris, the city of love. So maybe it's not that surprising that I was always such a helpless romantic. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted the life of a hippie, of a liberated woman, with sexual partners all around the world. I wanted to be in a ménage à trois, like Jules et Jim. I dreamt big. I wasn't meant for ordinary love. I know that's what you'd expect from me too if you've ever watched any American films or TV shows set in Paris, like Moulin Rouge. The story's about... The story's about... It's about love overcoming all obstacles. Casablanca. But what about us? We'll always have Paris. Or Emily in Paris. You don't come to Paris to be good. You're probably hearing accordion right now in your head. It's a cliché, but it also has roots in reality. It's part of French culture. And as a little girl in Paris, I bought into many of these ideas. And yet, here I am. I'm 35 and I've never been in love. Not once. Not even for a few days. My life has been entirely romanceless. And I'm doing fine. Rather than a romantic partner, I have wonderful friends, an amazing family, and now I have this. That's Joe, my baby. Thanks to a sperm donor, I'm no longer a single person. I'm a single parent. My life is all about poop, burps, and adorable little baby feet. I haven't always been this happy being single. For 10 years or so, I've wondered why I wasn't attracted to anyone. I thought it was weird, that something in me was broken. I was terrified that I was going to end up alone and sad. Then, I discovered what asexuality was. Asexuality. Sexual orientation of people who experience zero or little sexual attraction to others. I started to look at life differently. I wondered what sexual desire really was, and if it was a problem that I didn't feel any for anyone. I wondered if it was possible to be in a relationship if I didn't desire my partner. And why did I want to be in a relationship in the first place? So I asked my friends. I listened to other people with similar experiences. And I read studies and went to see academics and authors. 
And I think everyone assumes that one of the defining factors of a romantic relationship is that you are sexually attracted to each other. If we don't owe the world this particular kind of sexuality, then who do we want to be? There is so much that we can learn from asexual people's experiences that speaks to everybody's experience. How do we want to show up? How do we want to connect with people? In this podcast, I'm going to tell you how I came to accept myself and what I discovered along the way. How I realized that I wasn't able to feel sexual attraction despite my best efforts. I hadn't suppressed any trauma and I didn't have any hormonal issues. Sexual desire just doesn't always come with practice. And most importantly, how I eventually learned that I shouldn't force myself. That I could shut off Tinder, OkCupid and Bumble and replace meaningless dates with movie nights. I'm going to tell you how difficult it was to realize and accept that I was asexual in a society where sex is everywhere. Much later, I also realized that I was aromantic, which is a topic that can fill a whole other podcast. We'll talk about that a bit too. It was a crucial discovery in my journey to this. This podcast is not just for asexual and aromantic people, or as we say in the community, ace and arrow. It's for everyone, because yes, my story is very specific, but it's also, in many aspects, universal. It's about being pressured to follow society's norms, to have a romantic partner, to have sex. It's about having sex just to please someone else and compromising just to keep a relationship going. It's about sexual relationships without romance and about romance without sex. I haven't found answers to all my questions, but that's okay. Asking them has already helped me. I've allowed myself to imagine a new world, a world with less social pressure and more freedom. This story starts in 1998. It was a golden era of Eurodance. We were obsessed with songs like What is Love, Barbie Girl, and Boom Boom Boom, I Want You in My Room. But above all, Freed from Desire. You in the US might have never heard of that song but it was a mega hit all across Europe at the time. Like most teenagers, I would sing along every time it came on the radio, but I didn't think much about the lyrics. Everyone around me was in fact very much obsessed with desire at the time. Everyone except for me. I'm Aline Laurent Maillard, and you're listening to Free From Desire, a sexual in the city of love. In September 1998, I was 11. I just started middle school in Paris. I was excited and a little bit scared. It was nothing like elementary school. The playground was gigantic, and the building looked like a bathroom. The walls were covered in tiles. The teachers were overwhelmed. They had so many students that they couldn't remember our names. I barely knew anyone and the older kids looked like actual teenagers. Luckily, even though we weren't in the same class, I could see my friends from elementary school. We used to make up dance routines to Spice Girl songs. We'd play marbles and exchange stamps. But all that changed over the summer. 
at recess, my friends would now talk about Dawson's Creek, a new show about teenagers who spend their time declaring their love for each other. And you're different, and you've challenged me every step of the way, and you've been there every step of the way. My friends also became obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio, and they went on and on about the boys they liked in our class. They'd write their names in their notebooks and drew hearts around them. They'd spend hours coming up with strategies to get closer to them. And they would overanalyze their actions, trying to find proof that these boys were interested in them. It's as if, suddenly, the rules had changed and no one warned me about it. Kids of any gender learn that expressing some kind of sexual attraction is expected of them. Having a crush, having some sexual interest in a partner of a different gender is a huge part of our culture. and is really pushed on to uh, children and young adults. That's Megan Carroll. She's a sociology professor at California State University, San Bernardino. She also has a personal connection to this topic. So I'm someone who realized they were asexual at about the age of 30. And not only was I a bit older, but I was finishing my PhD specializing in gender and sexualities. And I was um, a bit angry and frustrated that asexuality had never come up in my studies, that I had the maximum access to knowledge on sexualities. And sociology was just not really talking about asexuality at the time. She's now trying to change the field by studying asexuality and interviewing people on the asexual spectrum. Kids learn early on that having sexual attractions is very normalized. This is something expected of them. And especially by high school, kids are talking about sex all the time. Even those who aren't having it are talking about it. The expectations are different depending on the person's gender. Um, in fact, sociologists have talked about how the process of sex talk in school is one way in which people signify their masculinity or their femininity at a young age. Since I couldn't do it, talking about my crushes or any kind of sex talk, I was quickly relegated to the Losers League. My friends became popular. Boys were into them. I guess it was because they did girly stuff, like wearing bras, shaving their legs, and doing their nails. They also acted differently. They tried to get the boys' attention by laughing at their jokes and watching them play soccer. I did not understand why watching boys was so interesting to them. I preferred spending my time reading Harry Potter. Probably because it was about a boy who's a bit different from the others and doesn't really belong anywhere. People would make remarks about the fact that I didn't wear a bra, but I didn't even have boobs. To stop the comments, I started wearing one. As for the rest, shaving and all that, I wasn't ready. But I guess I was a bit like my friends. I also wanted people to find me cute. American movies made us believe that if you take your glasses off, put on some makeup, and wear a nice skirt, you'll become sexy and popular overnight, and the boy of your dreams will suddenly notice you. But that's not how it really goes. When I got my braces off and got the backpack all the kids wanted, I didn't become the star of my middle school. I was still the same skinny flat girl. 
To fit in, I ended up changing my attitude a bit and paying more attention to boys. I started going on and on about how handsome Prince Harry was, so sexy with his red hair. I commented on my friend's crushes, and I complained that none of the boys liked me. Looking back, I think I was doing that to be like everyone else, to have things to talk about with the popular girls in my class. It's not that I really like them, but it felt good not being isolated anymore, being part of conversations. At that age, we would write to each other in our notebooks and our planners. It was like a proof of friendship. After I started engaging in those conversations about boys, I got some notes too. That read, It will happen to you soon. You're awesome. Don't worry, someday you'll find a boy too. But I wasn't sure I really wanted that. I could not even see myself kissing someone. It felt like I was the only one not thinking about it. Everybody else was talking about making out and fooling around. In France, every first Saturday of the month, an adult movie was broadcast on a cable channel late at night. On Monday, there were always some boys claiming they'd seen it. They would go on to describe the scenes in great detail. But the movie that the boys really loved, and the girls too, was American Pie. In case you've been living under a rock in the late 90s, it's about four guys willing to do anything to lose their virginity before going to college. I saw it with some people from class. It was the group hang of the year. Just like everyone else, I knew the lines by heart. I didn't understand why the characters were so obsessed with sex, but I found the movie funny. It's, it's interesting because the sexuality portrayed in those movies in particular was extremely heteronormative, misogynistic. There was the sense that like sexual conquest is what gives men status and power. But American Pie also relied on the joke that women are also really interested in sex. There was the band camp joke with Alison Hannigan. <laughs> She's also this very horny woman who's looking for sex as well. So are we going to screw soon? Because I'm getting kind of antsy. The humor and the plot, it's all about hookup culture and seeking sex. We will succeed. About time. We will get laid. It was so weird to think that, at some point, I would also want to lose my virginity. I had a hard time picturing it, but I knew it would happen. It happens to everyone. It's a rite of passage. Sex is such an important part of grown-ups' lives. Everything seems to revolve around it. When you turn on the TV, after a certain time at night, all you get is people talking about sex. So I'm with this girl, right, and we just got fucking banging. That I'd already fucked 10 guys. There's a scene where you pleasure yourself. Yes. <laughs> Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to all of you about sex. Years later, I found myself wanting to understand why sex was so present in teen movies. If we put a movie like American Pie into historical context, we can think about what sex was like during the 80s. Sex was a very dangerous arena because of the AIDS crisis. And so it makes sense that teen movies in the 90s that celebrated sex were very popular, that sex was now seen as something more liberatory because it wasn't quite as dangerous as it was in the previous era. 
That's what happened with American Pie. It's all about teenagers finding joy in discovering sex. It's light and fun. Everyone in those movies, regardless of gender, is trying to hook up, trying to satisfy their sexual needs, but they aren't actually showing the sex. That's true. Even though those movies and TV shows went on and on about sex, we never saw any real action. The characters were flirting, kissing, fooling around, taking their pants off, and that's it. End of scene, moving on. Why won't they show us how it's done? I had a million questions in my head. What do I do with my tongue if someone kisses me? Can I even do it with my braces? Will I know what to do in bed? At night, I'd sometimes listen to a call-in show for teenagers on the radio. All they talked about was sex. I learned a lot. Sex, I wanted to know what to do in case something happens. But I didn't think it was going to happen soon. I didn't even have a crush. But then, the summer I turned 14, I went to a snowboard camp. And I finally met a boy I liked. His name was Edouard. He was cute, and we had tons in common. He liked snowboarding, going to museums, and movies. I wanted to get closer to him, to spend time with him. It was the first time that I felt like this. But a friend from camp had a crush on him, and I had to respect the girl code. I couldn't make a move. On the last night at camp, during the party, a counselor asked me why I wasn't dancing. I told him about Edouard and the girl code. A few minutes later, I saw him talk to Edouard. He must have put a good word for me. I was dying for Edouard to ask me to dance, but he didn't. I went back to my dorm, and for the first time in my life, I cried in my bed because of a boy. My heart was shattered, but I was happy. I finally had a crush. I felt like it was the start of a new era. I'm going to have so many crushes. When I started high school, I was hopeful. If what everyone said was true, I was going to live the best years of my life. My first love story, first nights out, first concerts, and of course, my first time. And things were looking up. I had a group of friends that I loved. The popular girls asked about my clothes, and I made people in my class laugh. I was finally cool. The irony was, my killer jokes were often about sex. But when people would talk seriously about sex or discuss the specifics, positions and all that, I'd zone out. I couldn't seem to remember what cunnilingus was or what doggy style meant, even though I've watched Sex and the City and read tons of teen magazines. People in my class thought it was funny that I knew almost nothing about sex given how much I talk about it. It pissed me off. It was like my mind couldn't process that information. And it was the same thing with boys. I tried. In Europe, we go to nightclubs when we're teenagers. I'd go with my friends. I talked to boys. I even danced with them. But as soon as they were about to kiss me, I'd freeze. There was one exception. David. I was a junior, 
and he was a senior. A senior! For months, I sat up late at night to chat with him on MSN Messenger. I was hoping he'd make a move. One evening, after we went to a movie and ate some burgers with friends, he walked me home. And he kissed me, just like in the movies. I don't remember what I thought of that kiss. What I do remember is that I was very proud that a boy wanted to kiss me, especially considering that my shirt was stained with ketchup. The next day, he invited me over for a candlelit lunch in his kitchen. The meal? Cordon Bleu. Don't be fooled by the fancy name. It's basically a schnitzel with ham that you buy in the supermarket. It wasn't romantic at all. But it felt like it. Even though he was very considerate, I felt awkward. I didn't know what to do with my body. I knew I had to do a couple of things. Like hold his hand, kiss him. But it didn't come naturally. I was stiff, blocked. I saw him the next day and the day after that. And I still found the whole situation very weird. I didn't hear from him after that. I knew he was okay. It was disgusting me. A few weeks later, a friend told me that David dumped me because I acted awkward. I was afraid I had entered a vicious cycle. That each year that went by, my inexperience became more and more repulsive to guys. I knew I was being dramatic. Most of my friends hadn't had sex either, but they had boyfriends, or at least crushes. Whereas me, since Edouard, it had been dead calm. It wasn't like I was in love with David or anything. I guess what bothered me was also that I felt behind. I've never been behind before. I was always ahead as a kid. So this was a new feeling for me. And now, not only was I the last to know something, but I was teased because of it. It's only recently that I understood why it was stressing me out so much. It happened during a conversation with Angela Chen. She's the author of a book titled Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. Sexuality is a rite of passage. In so many movies and books and so on, you're considered a child until you are able to understand and experience sexuality, and that's how you become an adult. And I also think that's why so many people who are ace Um, in addition to feeling alienated, can feel infantilized. You know, feeling like I'm not a real adult, I'm not a real person, because people think that I don't understand something that, quote-unquote, real adults do. After leaving high school, I felt worse about my inexperience. I was supposed to be an adult by now. The way people looked at me didn't help. Every time a new person would discover I was a virgin, they'd be shocked. It's like they couldn't believe it. Like it was unimaginable. Especially when I studied business school. In France, you often enter business school at 20 years old after spending two years intensely studying and preparing for it. That's what I did. We had been studying so much in the years prior that all we wanted was to blow off steam, to finally have some fun. And fun in business school, meant wild parties and sex. Being in business school was like being in a real-life sex quiz. 
At that point, people wouldn't ask what base you've gone to. We were all supposed to have sex by now. Instead, they would ask, how often, where, how, with how many people at once. I didn't feel behind anymore. I was behind. When I would reply that I've never had sex, people would look at me like I was some kind of a circus freak. Sometimes after that, people would stop talking to me. They would ignore me, or they would tell me their study group was full, or that I couldn't join their club because I didn't make the list. Scholars believe there's something called compulsory sexuality. Compulsory sexuality is the idea that all normal, healthy people experience sexual attraction. It's how we're supposed to be. It's, you know, all of the things being equal, all of us would be like this. There's always that idea that there's something that needs to be fixed when you talk about not experiencing sexual attraction. Whereas if you went in and you said, oh, I don't like movies or I don't, you know, I don't like books, I don't like reading. There's so many other things you could say that you're not interested in and people would just say, that's your preference. That's who you are. That's morally neutral. That's totally fine. Back then, when people at my student jobs or internships learned that I was a virgin, they would give me unsolicited advice. It's like cigarettes. You have to force yourself at first. Maybe you should try to masturbate more. Just try. I promise. You'll love it. Who cares if you don't like the guy? Just do it with someone nice enough. Why do people want me to have sex so bad? It speaks to how much precarity and insecurity people of every orientation have around their sexuality, right? Because if you feel very secure in your sexuality, then what someone else decides to do, it doesn't really matter. I'm sure those people who gave me advice had good intentions, especially women. Angela Chen believes that a lot of them offer tips as a gesture of solidarity. There's a lot of shaming around sexuality. And it's true that, especially for women, we are shamed and our sexualities are policed. And so it actually takes time and effort to unlearn that. And so it can take work to be in touch with our sexualities. And so when that's your experience, I think it can be easy to dismiss other people. You know, when they say, I'm not sexually attracted to others, it can be easy to say, oh, that was my experience too, but I did X, Y, and Z, and now I'm not that way. And so sometimes I think it can come from a good place, but just because that was your experience doesn't mean it's everyone else's experience. At that time, I thought these people must be right, that I couldn't live without sex, that I had to lower my expectations and just do it. If it worked for them, it would work for me. And like everyone else, I was going to like it. And so, in June of 2010, I decided to get it done. I knew that in a year, I would graduate and I would have to find a job. I needed to hurry up if I wanted to experience all the wild things you're supposed to do while you're a student. I had a plan, three months of just traveling. I'll explore North America by myself, starting in Montreal. By the end of this trip, I will have so many stories to tell about all the passionate love and the great sex that I had. That's on our next episode. Free From Desire is an original podcast by Paradiso Media, 
written and narrated by Aline Laura Mayal. Produced by Suzanne Colomb and by me, Yael Evanol, with additional production support from Morgan Jaffe and Molly O'Keefe. Executive producers are Emmy Norris, Lorenzo Benedetti, Louis Dabussi, and Benoit Duneg. Sound design, editing, and mix by Theo Albaric. Additional editing by Yael Evanol and Morgan Jaffe. Studio recordings by Mara, Criso, and Theo Albaric. Production assistants are Lucine Dorso, Brandon Galbraith, and Sophia Martins. Editing intern is Bryson Brooks. Original music by The Lead. Our theme song is Freed from Desire by Gala. Cover art by Superfeet. This episode features excerpts from the movies American Pie, produced by Universal Pictures, Casablanca, produced by Warner Brothers, and Moulin Rouge, produced by Buzzmark Productions and 20th Century Fox. And from the TV shows, Conan, produced by Conan Co. and Warner Brothers Television, Dawson's Creek, produced by Columbia TriStar Television, Netflix's Emily in Paris, produced by Darren Star Productions, Jax Media, and MTV Entertainment Studios, The Ellen Show, produced by A Very Good Production, Telepictures Productions, and Warner Brothers Television, from the Netflix is a Joke YouTube channel, produced by Netflix, and from the French radio show Loving Fun, produced by Fun Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.